building a company from nothing is freaking hard. Us entrepreneurs are expected to deal with unimaginable challenges and somehow keep a cool head through it all. This is The Art of Entrepreneurship, and I'm your host, Jackie Hermes. I grew my company, Excelity, from zero to seven figures with no partners and no funding. The Art of Entrepreneurship is a show where we cut through the BS and dig into what it actually takes to start and grow a company. If you give me your time, I promise it won't be wasted. Now let's get to work. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Entrepreneurship. Today, we are covering a lot of different topics with someone who I consider a very successful entrepreneur, so he's very credible to talk on the topic. We are going to welcome Yoa Vilner today, who is the CEO of Walnut. He's founded a couple of other companies, but Walnut recently raised $35 million in Series B financing which is crazy. He raised over $50 million in a year and a half. And today I'm going to talk to him about gaining credibility when you become an entrepreneur, especially as a young entrepreneur is something that I struggled with, how to go about getting those first customers and scaling from there. And then of course, we are going to talk about fundraising for those of you that are interested in doing so. So thank you again for listening and welcome Yoav. Welcome to the Art of Entrepreneurship. I really appreciate you being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you sent a lot of really good information. And while I was while I was looking into you and looking at your LinkedIn page and listening to some of the, the podcasts you've been on, I learned that you started your entrepreneurial journey when you were only 21, which is, it's a really young age to start a company, right? I started when I was 23 and I just remember feeling like I had a hard time gaining credibility, right? As a young female entrepreneur. And it's like, people kept asking like, how much experience could you really have, right? To start a company. And you have to have a certain level of confidence to to start at that age. Talk to me about how you, how you went about building credibility at 21 years old, becoming an entrepreneur. Right, that's a great question because I had zero reputation, zero network, <laughs> with a very exciting, uh, Time to be alive. Um, so, so yeah, at 21, I identified like a little gap where lots of startups started raising seed rounds, and which were of course 500k, 1 million tops, and they were impressive uh, a, a decade ago. And I noticed that none of them um, has um, anything of a solution for marketing, for growth, go-to-market operations. There was very little CMOs available in the tech scene, and the big ad agencies could not really support the small startups. And so I kind of stepped in the tech industry from a very, um, from like, from like the, from, from the window, you know, not from the main door, because usually you would, you would be a developer or you would be a product manager and, and you would like develop in, in, in the industry. And, and I came in as some sort of a, a new layer of a new, a new thing that can happen within the industry. And that really let me, um, build my network really fast because I didn't have a lot of a lot of competition for what I was doing. Like literally, most of the startups in Tel Aviv, and also uh, later on we had offices in London and Manhattan. They didn't really have a lot of alternatives. So if they had to use their new funds to grow, they would usually talk to me. That would build my first like my first circle of new friends. Let's call it fo- founders and investors and everything. Um, and I was attending a lot of events. I was lecturing in accelerators associated with Google and Microsoft and Yahoo and, and even the UN. And I was writing columns in different publications 
and kind of built this little asset called me for for a couple of years and from there it was much easier yeah I love that you mentioned that you didn't have a lot of competition I know this is a small aside but what's your opinion on competition do you watch your competition closely are you keeping a pulse on what they're doing or are you in the like screw the competition you know I'm just out here trying to do my best camp tell me about that yeah that's a great question so now with walnut um, we're building a new category and we were we're totally pioneering it so there's a lot of new players you know emerging with the same concept and um, I'm very very aware of everything like I literally know everything they're doing on their socials every day they're getting coverage where you know who's writing about them and why um, we know what's going on within the companies uh, the cultures the the um, the customers they have the income um, it's really really important to always be on top of everything because you you will always be one step ahead and you will never be surprised mm-hmm. it's so funny when people I mean I think that people try to copy often, right? When they see something that's going really well, but if you're keeping a pulse on what your competition is doing and you're ahead of them, they're never really going to be able to copy you, right? Because you'll be a step ahead by the time they copy you, you'll be two steps ahead of that. I would love to talk to you about just the most important characteristics that a founder has to have. Like, do you think that being a founder is something that's innate? Like a lot of people say, Oh, you know, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur from the time I was little because I was out selling and I was always hustling and, you know, structures never fit me. Do you think that is innate or is it a skill that you can learn? I think that deep inside you have to be a bit, a bit crazy. And so that's (laughs) something you were born with. Um, Besides that, you learn a lot of stuff. Like no one was a great CEO before they were a bad CEO. And most of the big tech founders of, you know, the top hundred companies now in the world, especially the founders of them are, they were not CEOs before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so either you you have skills and you can do it, or you make a lot of mistakes being a CEO once, you make less mistakes being a CEO twice. In the third time, you'll be a great one. You just have to learn as you go. You have to be um, very persuasive, very confident, like selling your vision to the founding team that you about you're trying to hire when no one's has even believed in you before and no one's invested in you yet and then raising funds and bringing on the first customers and everything you have to be very very confident in your vision um and everything else you kind of learn as you go yeah what do you think is the most important skill or characteristic that a founder needs to be successful Uh, Be very mindful to the tips that you're getting from people because everyone will try to direct you in different directions all the time from day one. Mm. Your board of investors and your colleagues and your co-founders and your everyone. Um, Mm. And so you have to be very, 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 like you have to be very strategic about every decision and you have to take tips and pointers from smart people, but also know that no tip is one size fit all and you have to be able to kind of filter out the less better tips and build your own path. Yes, I 
I love that advice. And I think that even outside of mentors and coaches and investors and coworkers and co-founders, there are a million people that have opinions on what you're doing, right? Like even it, a lot of the listeners to this podcast are early stage founders or they're thinking about starting a company. And even like your family has a million opinions on what you should be doing. And your neighbor's got an opinion and the dog's got an, like literally everyone's got something to say about what you're doing. And my policy is always you you take it all in right you can weigh everyone's advice through the lens of you know like where they're coming from what their fears might be what their experience is right and 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 you can you know weigh that with kind of a grain of salt and then you have to come to your own decision and i think that that intuition and that instinct as a founder is something that you gain and build over time and it sounds like that's happened to you as you've grown a number of different companies yeah yeah so I just mentioned that many of our listeners are early stage founders and they might be looking for that first customer or the first five or the first 10. I read an article in TechCrunch that talked about your company, Walnut, and how you were able to get over 100 customers on board in your first year. And not only get 100 customers on board, but you were working with the likes of the Dells and the Adobe's. What is your best advice for people that are working on getting their first few customers? Yeah, that's always a pickle um, because you interview potential uh, first clients or design partners at first and everyone will tell you, we would totally use your product when it's ready. But then when it's time to pay, they're not totally using your product. Mm -hmm. You have to be uh, very good at like not just getting those opportunities, but also be able to kind of manage it in a way where you actually work with the first customers that will actually be your loyal colleagues later on. Um, we started with a wait list of 700 people. And I think that wait list happened and exploded that way because we were very clear about the, what we're doing. It's a major problem. Like showcasing your product is a tough, it's a pain for, for sales teams. And they understood really fast how it's going to solve the pain. And we launched on Product Hunt. Product Hunt had a lot of PR and a lot of things happened around it and it brought us a lot of leads. Usually what you would do, like first step is kind of look in your own network and your co-founders network and your, and your first employees. You would look for those four or five companies that can you can find a real, a real friend, like a real champion that would give you their honest feedback. They would be able to be your design partner. Obviously no money's been transferred in design partnership. You just you're doing them a favor, they're doing you a favor. So, um, and VCs are fine with it. Like if you have five or six design partners, let's say you're a B2B software. So um, if you can show like impressive logos, it doesn't have to be paid. Like you just need to build out your MVP according to their needs. Um, and they're getting a service and something they need, even if it's buggy, even if it doesn't look good, but they're getting it at no cost. And so both sides have like a, like a, like a benefit here. Yeah. Um, after you've, onboarded those four or five first customers you can use those logos to impress the next 10 customers and the next 20 and start fo more focus on outbound inbound and everything yeah absolutely so speaking of using logos to impress your next 10 or 20 how do you go about approaching and pursuing 
the customer is like a Dell or an Adobe. I mean, I, there's a lot of, we work with a lot of B2B tech companies and they may dream of partnering with companies like that, right? And I think a lot of businesses do, but they don't have a dang clue how to even get in front of someone that could potentially partner with you or help champion your solution within, you know, within the company. Right. So usually the founders would do like this, the sales process on their own at first, after uh, they bring on the right, the right management team, they will start delegating the sales process. Um, we all have friends that have friends that have friends in one of the big companies. Yeah. For us, it wasn't about that. For us, it was about like the big viral launch that everyone noticed and people from fortune companies reached out. So either you go about like being a very, very um, successful first product launch and then people will reach out to you or you will have a lot of um, a lot of um, buzz to show them like they would they would believe you early on because they they've seen you everywhere. So that would make it easier for you, like a social proof mm-hmm. um, or you bring on your first VP of sales, head of sales, AE, whatever your company needs and the right, you know, the right the amount of funds that you raise and the, the, the category you're in there, they can make a difference um, in the right person that you need to bring. But as soon as you've delegated that to him as a founder, give him a list of, you know, give him a wish list or give him a target list and they should do everything they can to reach out mm-hmm. and they better do a good job. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that that buzz is really important and having some level of like public persona or credibility is helpful too. We talk to potential clients all the time. I was just mentioned to you that I was in Chicago yesterday talking to a potential client and we had spoken to one of their decision makers a number of times, but we had never met the CEO until this meeting. And she said, oh, I watched Jackie's activity on LinkedIn and I read her content for months and then finally decided, you know, we needed a marketing partner and decided to reach out. And it's that credibility, the consistency, and just showing you know what you're doing, right? Like you can create buzz around your product. You can, you know, display yourself as credible in your industry. I think that goes a long way in opening conversations and speeding them up once you can get in front of those people as well. Right. And you have a very impressive uh, LinkedIn presence, right? Uh, 100,000 people. Thank you. Yeah, man. I mean, it's been years of years of work to to gain that presence. And I think you cannot understate how important it is to be consistent and just be really smart about evaluating what's working and what's not. And, you know, in marketing and in sales outreach and getting those first, I mean, for you over 100 customers, which is pretty incredible. Okay, I have one. Well, two more questions. I want to talk to you a little bit about fundraising because I read that you raised over $50 million in your first year of owning Walnut, which is crazy. And there's a lot of startups that struggle to raise a few hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, right? And you you raised, uh, was it a seed and a series A? It was all the way from seed to series B in 12 months. Yeah. That is fantastic. Tell me, how did you learn how to raise? And part two, what is your advice for founders who are thinking about raising for the first time? Right. Um, first of all, this is, this will be a very interesting year uh, in, in fundraise because of the recession. But mm-hmm. I think that th- there isn't a better time to raise the first the first round than, than a crisis. Because we also raised our seed at 2020 when COVID hit and 
VCs were shrinking and LPs were not transferring funds to the VCs and everything went crazy. And people told us like, why would you, why would you try and raise uh, a seed round right now? Like give it six months, things would go back to normal and everything. First of all, it's never normal. Like always, you know, something always happens you, you, and it's a long process. So you just have to start. Mm-hmm. I think that it, VCs really appreciate founders that are brave enough to launch a startup during difficult times and during, especially during this downturn, which is a little bit different than previous ones. Mm-hmm. So you will be more appreciated. And yeah, maybe the valuation will be a bit lower, but who cares? Like if your company succeeds, no one's going to remember the seed valuation. And if your company doesn't succeed, nobody's going to care about your seed valuation. True. <laughs> um, so, so now will be a perfect time to do that. And like I said, confidence, like show the investors that you know what you're doing. Um, you, you have a good founder market fit. Like you, you, you have a good reason to own the problem. And, and it's a really great time to be raising that round. Yeah, I think that there's always opportunity in every situation if you can look at it in the right way. My team was telling me, I mean, you've been seeing, I'm sure about all the tech companies that are just doing mass layoffs and they're gutting marketing teams. And and a member of my sales team was like, you know, what's that mean for us? Does that mean less opportunity for us? But it could mean more opportunity for us because they might be looking to outsource more. And it's just like, if you can figure out how to make any situation work for you, like we still grew through COVID and I, I mean, I don't know how we scraped it together and we worked our butts off, but we still were able to grow the company. And I think that you know, you can turn anything into opportunity if you have the right mentality and the right work ethic. And so I love that advice. I think it's perfect for, for founders that are out there looking to raise. Right. So we've reached the end of our time. I know it was short and we covered a lot in the last 20 or so minutes. If, if there's one thing that we talked about that listeners today should walk away with, like one most important message, what is it? Um, I think that being very, very confident, very strategic about your actions as a founder and filtering, filtering out the wrong advice, getting the right people on board and you're good to go. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And for everyone that's listening and wants to learn more about Walnut, definitely check out the link in the show notes and share this episode with one person who wants to learn more about building your skills as a founder, about raising money or anything else that we covered today. Thanks for listening. 